0: Welcome back to How I Deal, where we examine a single past closed deal, how it played out that way, and provide some real sales tips straight from the front lines that you can use in your deals today. My name is Taylor Dahlem, full cycle account executive, turn content guy, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Junior Latte, the sales dragon here at Pickle. June, what's up, man?
1: It's episode 19. I will say these nicknames are getting out of
0: hand. However, House of
1: Dragons, wow. Fortunately for everyone listening, this is not a Game of Thrones podcast. I'd likely be killed instantly on that show. Not much of a contender. Got 100% flight instincts, but let's talk about sales.
0: I say you and everybody else would would be murdered immediately on that show. But luckily, we're in sales, uh, a high risk, but you know low death rate game. Um, a quick explainer for the episode that in case you haven't listened before, we want to essentially walk from a deal start to finish, um, leaving out all names, places, trying to keep them fictionalized as possible. And that will allow us to dive a lot deeper than we would if we're, uh, if we're just name dropping left and right. So we want to understand from the first time a prospect was stumbled upon either through the CFO. CRM, a target account list, wherever it may be, all the way to getting that final signature and kicking off implementation.
1: Our guest today is CJ Friedrichs. Or should I say CJ flows as his rap name goes? He was doing shows. Now you already knows. (laughs) That's my poor rap attempt right there. (laughs) CJ started off on the rap scene. I mean, we don't typically highlight, you know, non-SAS experience in our intro, but I think a lot of us can relate maybe not to the rapping, but, you know, to the Panera breads or the pizza pit. So I had to throw that into the intro. CJ then hits, you know, the cell scene as an SDR he went from SDR to senior AE in six months, which is incredibly fast. He's currently an enterprise account director at High Five. CJ, you know, tell us about the rap game, but also tell us about what you do in your role today and what problems high five solves.
2: Yeah, thank you, gentlemen. Really appreciate you having me on. You know, I dropped the mic to to pick up the pen, if you will. And I was in the the marketing world for a long time. Quickly found when I immersed myself in sales, that sales was my real passion. So now I, now I use a microphone of a different kind, joining you gentlemen on webinars and podcasts like this. As an enterprise account director at High Five, I truly am a full cycle account executive. Here at High Five, we are doing some really cool things in the talent space. We are an innovation on traditional staffing. We proactively source and vet on a global scale We've got a SaaS component. So we have talent pooling technology that allows us to really capture and engage with talent. And then we can match those candidate profiles to the specific skill sets that our clients are looking for. So we're trying to change the game in the talent world.
0: You just sold me on that. So hell of a job there, CJ. What deal are you walking us through today?
2: Yeah, I've got a really cool deal to talk about with you guys today. What really makes this deal special is that this deal was closed within my first 90 days in a new position in a new industry. So there were certainly some team selling components. It really came down to to prospecting fundamentals, right? I found the right people to talk to, and I found a creative way to get in front of them. And I was still relatively new. So guys, if you're out there, if you're new in a sales position, don't let that hinder you from going after your goals. There are resources all around you that you can use to catapult yourself to those wins, even within your first 90 days. This company that I had prospected was in the tech space. I come from a SaaS background, so I was very familiar with them. They're actually in procurement technology. They checked a lot of boxes for us, You know, 3,400 employees, Rapidly scaling, they had a dedicated talent team that had over 20 hiring managers. So that's what really allowed me to reach out.
1: CJ, we're going to look at this podcast a little bit different. We're going to say, You've got 90 days to close a role, and we'll like put the pressure on as if it hasn't happened. You know, where do you start, and how'd you become aware about this company? And what was the research here? 90 days, let's get started.
2: Absolutely. So LinkedIn Navigator is a salesperson's best friend. I I hope everybody's using LinkedIn Navigator. They actually have growth metrics. So I was able to to very easily put together a filter that was able to sort accounts. And I was able to find accounts that were rapidly growing, right? So this company had grown over 20% in the last year, 70% in the last two years. They had a job opening count on LinkedIn. It's so cool. You can see that in the talent space of over 10% 10% of their headcount. It was actually over 20% of their headcount. So rapidly growing, have been growing the last few years, still are growing. I was able to take a look at their job openings and hypothesize what roles they, they may be experiencing headwinds with. I was able to do that by looking at the number of applicants, by looking at how long that job was open. And so I specifically used those challenging roles or the, the roles that I hypothesized that they're experiencing headwinds with in my outreach efforts to really drive some urgency and say, hey, I did my research, man, I'm here for you. So and 10%
1: then- headcount, you've got these job openings. These are all things on your list. Like you're looking for these and you're using sales nav filters to find companies that fit
2: some of these parameters. Absolutely. And then the last thing is who to talk to in the organization, right? So that's where I was able to leverage another resource, Zoom Info. I took a look at their organizational structure, They did have a separate talent entity. It wasn't lumped in with their HR team. So that to me is, hey, these guys are really keen on finding the best talent. They've got an entire department built up for that. I found their vice president of global talent. To me, that was the decision maker. I personally try not to ever waste my time in the weeds. If I can, I go right to the source. So that's who I targeted.
1: So if they don't have that specific rule that you say is non-HR, do those kind of deals still close? Like, are they not ICP? Like, what makes it about this specific title to be so good?
2: Well, if you're just targeting a VP of HR, it's kind of hard to really know what their core responsibilities are. I do utilize LinkedIn for that a lot of times. I look at their previous job experiences to see what some of their takeaways were. To really see, hey, if they were leading global talent in their previous position, they probably were brought onto the HR team for that. But you also could target operations people. It's just really about that research to see what they specialized in in the past to kind of hypothesize what they were probably brought into this organization to help with.
1: Yeah. So someone could have like a heavy talent acquisition background and then they join another company with an operations role and you're like looking through, you're like, but nobody has, you know, like this talent title. So it's probably this operations person. I like that you're able to like find those and piece that together just through hypothesizing what
2: it looks like. It's all about putting in the groundwork, putting in the dirty work before you even start your outreach. That's going to really lay the foundation for you to be as successful as you want to be.
0: So CJ, you've got your specifics down to very laser focused, specific search, a specific head count, job openings, challenging roles to fill, and then even a, a very particular person to reach out to. But at some point, like you said, you got to put pen to paper or uh, the keyboard to work here. How did you go about getting in front of this prospect and getting your foot in the door?
2: The first thing I always do is try to connect with them on LinkedIn. (laughs) I've tried the blind connects. I had some success with that in the past. I think people are a little bit more weary of accepting a blind request these days, having been pitch slapped so many times So what I like to do is I like to send a nice message with my connection request. Hey, I'm looking to expand my network of successful and innovative talent acquisition leaders like you. Would you be open to connecting? So that was really the first step. I always like to follow them too, because I'm going to personalize my initial outreach efforts as much as I possibly can. So I do always like to reach out via email first. I like to find a personalization token or multiple personalization tokens looking at their LinkedIn feed, looking at their recommendations. Guys, you wouldn't believe how many meetings I've got by calling out a recommendation and actually calling out the recommender's names. Impressive shout out from Junior. And then tying that back into the problem that I hypothesize you may be experiencing. So I really try to stay creative with my outreach. It's always my first step. If somebody accepts my connection request, I'll really just try to be more casual in my LinkedIn messaging. I do like to provide valuable resources if I can. Hey, saw that you were hiring for these positions. I thought this article might resonate with you. Check that out. Let me know your thoughts. If they don't accept, I do take a little bit different approach. I like to use some of that same messaging I use in my personalized email because why Why recreate the wheel? I spend a lot of time putting together that personalized email, right? So I will send that via email as well. The really cool thing about sending those messages via email is if they miss the email, as a lot of folks do, they actually get an email alert sent to their personal email the next day. So it's just so many different channels for you to get in front of this person. I always like to call after I send a personalized email. Guys, take advantage of that awesome resource you just put together, right? And I specifically reference the email in my voicemail if they don't answer. Sent you this email at this time. Check it out, let me know your thoughts. In this case, I used this omni-channel approach for a few weeks with no luck. Finally got a hold of him via cold call. My typical pitch is, hey, heads up, this is a cold call. I just wanna let you know why I'm calling. If it resonates with you, we can chat. If not, it's cool if you hang up. Is that all right? So that's what I did. He said, hey, yeah, I got 30 seconds. What's up? I specifically called out these three roles that I hypothesized that they were experiencing headwinds with. Instead of going for a meeting, I just asked, are you experiencing headwinds trying to fill those roles? His response was, no kidding. He didn't say kidding, but you get the point there. (laughs) So that really opened up the conversation. And then 18 minutes later, you know, he invited me to join him and and wanted to invite his talent operations person as well. And then at the end of the call, he goes, so what was your name again? Hey, CJ Friedrichs. And he goes, Oh, you're that guy I've been ignoring for the last few weeks.
1: (laughs) I think that (laughs) aspect right there, like you're the guy that I've been ignoring any account executive SDR. Like that's what we hope for. You know, like if you, haven't responded, if we haven't been able to get in front of you, we just hope that like, you just keep seeing our name and then eventually we'll bump into you. And that's the memory that you have is like persistence, you know, and maybe the messaging wasn't great, but that's okay. Like just constantly there. I love that in this cold call too, it's you're coming with something very specific. It's like an offer that you have based on the account, not just based on typical problems that your company solves. You know, like it's okay to queue up a list of 50 people to just call and give them the generic pitch. But when there's these accounts you're trying to win, it's good to have this research and it's like data backed. And when you have something to pitch for them, it's like striking gold. So the nice thing on this call is he's like, hey, let's schedule another call, but let's loop in, you know, the director of talent as well. So what did that discovery look like? And what did you learn?
2: The good news is because I had 18 minutes on the first call, it was a completely qualified opportunity at this point, right? So that allowed us to really just to dive right in. We already knew what type of headwinds they were experiencing. We could unpack that a little bit more. We could continue to build trust with both parties that were now included in the call. And and you may recall, I was pretty new to the position at this point, right? I was pretty new to the industry. And so I did ask one of my colleagues who had been in the industry a little bit longer to join me in the call. He was the SME or the subject matter expert on the call. So that allowed me to take a little bit different position within those first few calls. Instead of being the subject matter expert, I could actually tee my SME up to be successful with questions. And then I really just helped keep everybody on track. I was more so like the quarterback of the call at this point. I added insight where I could, but I really just let my SME go to work. And we took the time to prepare as much as possible. I think it's it's so key for these discovery calls. You're not always going to have your questions teed up, but you need to know what information you have to get out of this first call. And so we're really a bamped organization. We That was our intent to get through ban on this first call. We also needed to get the second party up to speed. As to what our value propositions were and how we were going to help them.
0: CJ, walk us through maybe the, some of the strategy, the approach. Obviously, "bant budget authority need time" is a as a you know a sales strategy. It's pretty old, pretty out there um, in terms of you know most people know what it is. But there's probably some more specific things that you're looking for in that meeting as well as what was the main problem
2: uh, that that ended up being surfaced while you were having that conversation. Before we even jumped into the problem because I did have this subject matter expert on the call. We really wanted to position him as an authority leader in the space and as a global advisor. So we do this. We have this approach called earn the right. That's how we kick off the call. I'm CJ Friedrichs. Here's why it's important that you took this call. Here's why it's important that I brought my colleague in as well, because he can help you in a variety of different ways. He has even more experience than I do. So we're all here for you. I'd love to to learn a little bit about you and your role in the organization. But ultimately, the point of this call is to make it all about you to learn about you. We want to make sure that our initiatives align and that we're really able to solve some of these headwinds that you guys are facing.
1: I love this because we talked. I think we've talked in the past about you know basic agenda setting. You know, like hey, we've got the next thirty minutes. Hopefully, we find some mutual ground. You know, do you have a hard stop? That kind of stuff. But here. It's more like, aside from agenda, it's also, you know, like the priority of the meeting, you know, like why this is important that we're actually here. And sometimes the agenda can miss the why, whereas you're starting with the the why, the agenda doesn't always need to be discussed. But if you can get to that why, I think it's really important. What was... um. The main problem here that, you know, at the end of the call, you and the SME were able to find and uncover.
2: Well, I think you nailed it, Junior. It's the why. We knew that they were experiencing headwinds in their engineering department. I was able to unpack that in the qualification calls. Then in this one, it's now why are you experiencing those headwinds? Turns out that they were traditionally hiring their engineers in a full in-office capacity. Engineers, guys, don't tend to be the most social people. This work from home movement really resonates with engineers. And so they knew that, the two points of contact, but they needed help. They needed some advice from us on how to convince their leadership that they should allow a hybrid hire or even better yet, a fully remote hire for these engineering roles and so that's where we were able to provide a lot of insight and market intelligence into why that is going to be vital if they want to have these roles filled then they're going to need to have a paradigm shift internally and really change the way that they're filling these roles
0: you've had this pre-discovery that 18-minute conversation that you know led to the oh shit yes we we do have these headwinds these problems <laughs> You then move to the actual discovery meeting. You have a couple of the decision makers or at least end users uh, that this really affects and you're having very honest conversation. Seems like you've set the agenda well and the the problems have been surfaced, but at a certain point, you kind of have to put the cards on the table, show what you're going to solve, or ultimately, you know, here's how we're going to provide a solution. How did that translate so that those two conversations translate to an actual demo and how'd you keep it personalized and focused from that point on?
2: If you're if you're really approaching a sales call as an advisor, you never really have to sell anything, right? You let the, the customers' questions dictate what you need to provide as far as information regarding your own product or your own service. So we were really able to to in that initial qualification call build up that that need for this innovative technology for this global sourcing and, and vetting process. A lot of organizations don't actually vet. And so we had already built up a lot of interest. I think after that initial cold call, he was like, okay, these guys are doing some really cool things. Now in the discovery call, let's see if they can really help us specifically, right? And so that's, that's where that alignment occurred in that second call. We did proceed to a demo. However, this was a very interesting demo because we didn't even have to jump into the actual interface that we have available, our SaaS component, because we were already so aligned. This call was really a debriefing from their internal conversations after our discovery call. And then we wanted to see, you know, who's going to be, who else do we need to get included, right? Do you have a procurement team? Who's the best point of contact that we need to get involved from the procurement team? How long does the typical procurement process take? What do you need from us to ensure that this project has The best odds of successfully making it through procurement. And I think this is key because a lot of, especially new salespeople, they think that you have to go, you know, A, B, C to get to Z. And in a lot of cases, that's okay. If you can skip steps, do it. If the the customer's already bought in, you don't have to oversell anything. You want to strike while the iron's hot. You want to kick off this new initiative. As quickly as possible, so that you have the best odds of implementing while everyone's still engaged and still interested. And so that demo call ended up being more of a, hey, you know, what's the next step call, we answered some questions that they had, we knew exactly from who from procurement, we wanted to get involved, we went ahead and booked that next call with procurement, and we knew exactly what information we needed to provide in the next meeting.
1: That demo stage is really unique here because you've gotten to like such a place of credibility that they're like, hey, we believe that there is a platform. We believe the platform works. Let's talk about like the things that matter, you know, and that's when you get into the procurement dicing and stuff like that. And I think that's a really cool position to get to with your prospects and your customers where I'm not saying if you're demoing every deal you have, You haven't built that. I'm just saying in some instances, it's not always necessary. At this point, CJ, it just seems like, you know, this is the perfect deal and things are going really smoothly. Were there any barriers that you had to overcome?
2: We were pretty excited. Hey, we, we got to skip the demo step that the customer was already bought in. You know, one thing to keep in mind is that these were the decision makers, right? So we never even had to get a real end user involved, which, it, which is great. They did have the trust already. So we get to this next call. Everything is sunshine and roses. We open up the meeting. Both of our points of contact didn't join the meeting. The procurement person jumped in on her own by herself. She was fully expecting somebody <laughs> from her team, at least one of the parties to be involved. We were expecting that. And so there was a curveball thrown here. And one thing that this really taught me and reinforced is the need to anticipate the unexpected, have a plan for when the plan breaks down, right? I'm, I'm privileged enough to have a buddy that's in procurement. And so I've had some previous conversations with him about this, because I want to know when you get introduced into a meeting, what do you need to know? Because we can save our breath. We don't need to sell procurement on anything, on any of our features, on any of our functions. All that's important to procurement is we need to provide the business case. And the, the main reason we provide the business case is because procurement wants to make sure that they don't have something else on their shelf collecting dust that can solve the same problem that we're trying to solve. And then also they want to know the pricing. They want to make sure that they don't have any competitors that might be you know more affordable or more effective. And they also want to just make sure, to put it plain and simply, that they are not getting ripped off. And so knowing that I went right into the business case, I went right into our pricing, I asked if they had any alternatives available that could solve the headwinds that we're trying to solve. I asked it if the pricing was in alignment with what they had anticipated or what they've gotten from other vendors in the past and we were very easily able to check those boxes and then kind of the the end of the call was kind of us laughing about the whole situation and that how we were all thrown in the, into this together and it made us even tighter and you know uh, a better group so it was actually we we kind of took that unexpected curveball and spun it into a really positive at the end of the call we actually got her involved in all of the email threads moving forward so so it became an even more collaborative environment
0: did they ever like mention why they missed it like what what, what the hell happened <laughs> oh
2: yeah yeah there were apologies from both parties later in the day and it just was just a, a just a misscheduling <laughs> no it was it was actually a oh i thought he was going to join oh i thought she was going to join
0: <laughs> gotcha miscommunication and like you said you had to think on your feet salvage it turned into a, a positive when it could have went very poorly or at least you know, at the very least extended the deal timeline a little longer when you're like, oh, let's, let's reschedule. Let's do this. Now yeah, maybe, just be aware you, you of the it.
2: persona you're talking to, right, Taylor? Yeah. That's what we really had to do. It's like, okay, we had this plan that involved all three personas. Now two of those personas aren't in the call. What does this persona really need to know?
0: And they're now the star of the
2: call when they were probably <laughs> just a, an addendum at that point. It, this is really <laughs> cool, too. She actually had her camera off for the beginning of the call. End of the call, flip the camera on talking to us face to face. It's always a good thing.
1: Yeah. That's a, that is actually a barrier in and of itself. Like anyone that joins a meeting with their camera off, you have to like respect their space. You can ask, Hey, do you mind turning on your camera? But for the most part, I probably wouldn't. But if you, by the end of the conversation, they're like willing to do that, like you've made up some ground big time.
0: Now, CJ, let's kind of recap the, the timeline here. So obviously first 90 days is how we preface this call, but Maybe what happened in between that time, like walk us through behind the scenes, what was going on deal management wise, like how did you keep this deal organized and what was kind of the general timeline? Keeping it
2: organized it is so imperative that you put as much detail as possible from your meetings and your follow-up emails. Shout outs to Pickle AI. I think you guys have some of the best software out there to do that. You can very easily copy and paste even snippets from your conversation to keep everything organized but I'm a big believer in too much detail in those follow-up emails because you never know how much they're going to reference those or pass those around internally. And you don't know what personas are going to be viewing that email, or what might be important to them. So just put as much detail as you can in there. My final follow-up email after our last meeting had over 150 opens before this deal closed. So do you think that was a helpful resource keeping this thing aligned, especially behind the scenes? It was huge. The other thing was the timeline got extended a little bit. So we were initially hoping for a four-week wrap-up. The two points of contact were the decision makers were a little ambitious. <laughs> when we got to procurement, procurement's like, hey, pump the brakes. This is probably going to take a week longer. I just want to set clear expectations with you guys. And instead of me freaking out, you know, oh, man, I got commission breath. I really need this to close this month. No, that's perfectly okay. Guys, good things take time especially in sales, especially when you have a deal that, that is that close to the finish line, it's really good to, to be friendly and, and, and to be kind of chirping their ear like, hey, I know that you wanted to have this deal closed by X, Y, and Z. We're going to need this information from you. you. know, We're here for you all week. Anything you need from us to make sure that you can get that over to us, just let us know you know, keep your prospect centric. So that one did get pushed a little bit longer, but that's okay. You know, we were able to get it wrapped up in five weeks instead of four. The other key component here, and we did this in that initial discovery call, is I always like to ask what's their preferred communication channel? And I like to friendly nudge them towards texting. I think texting is the best way to stay in touch with somebody while these deals are going along. And you know, on that same note, texting allows things to be a little bit more casual, which after you've had a few meetings, I think that is super important. So we had really detailed follow-up emails. We were okay with the new timeline. We kept all of our communication prospect-centric to ensure that they were able to accomplish their goal within that timeline. And the last thing we did is we opened up that texted channel.
1: I think we've talked about this in the past, but opening up the texting channel is huge. In the past, I've literally sent in an email, are you open to texting? You know, the least they say is no, right? That's the that's the worst that can happen. Okay, let's let's wrap up here. You know, what are three sales tips that you learned from this deal that you would, you know, give advice
2: to any sales pro trying to win their own deals? Sales geek to sales geek, guys. After you've had a few meetings with somebody, remember, they're a buddy now. They're not necessarily Mr. Prospect anymore. They're one of your friends. How do you text with your friends? How do you communicate with your friends? Keep it casual as these deals progress. Second thing, make sure you're going to be creative in your messaging if you ever do need to drive urgency and keep it prospect centric. We were waiting on some information to get this deal past the finish line. We needed some role information. I did stay in touch with both parties pretty regularly. However, I wasn't saying, hey, do you got those roles for me yet? It was always, I know that you were hoping to get this accomplished by this date. Does that still align with what you're expecting? If so, get get us those roles as quickly as possible. We're prepared to get started as soon as we get those from you. We're just trying to make you look good. We want you to be the rock star in this organization. Last thing and I said this before but just plan for the unexpected guys. I'm a big believer in taking you know, up to 2 hours before a 1 hour meeting and just really take the time to be prepared, decompress, know who you're talking to, know what their pain points are, know if they take the conversation this direction. This is what I want to do to take control and make sure that I'm going to get the information that I need to. Perfect example was that that call with procurement. You know if we wouldn't have had a plan If we wouldn't have known what procurement that persona needed to get out of that call, you know, this call could have fell through the cracks and I've seen deals fall apart at the procurement stage. So just plan for the unexpected.
1: Great tips. CJ, it's been great chatting with you from the rap game to the sales scene. We'll drop the SoundCloud links with the pod. CJ, thanks again
2: for joining. My pleasure. Thank you so much, gentlemen. And just like that, another
0: episode of How I Deal is in the books. Thanks again for tuning in. Once again, if you enjoy what we're putting out there or the conversations we're having, please let us know. We love hearing from you and we love knowing, hey, what should we do next? What can we add? What can we do to make it better? Until that point, we will see you next time.